Welcome to Currents, your leading global voice of maternal feminism. As maternal feminists, we are inviting you to join us, using our voices in the public square for the things that deeply matter, our faith, our families, and our maternal identities. The Currents podcast aims to gather women who are deliberate thinkers and women who are prepared to engage as powerful forces for good in our homes, our communities, and our world. Welcome to Currents. I'm your host, Dana Robb, and today you are in for a treat. We're doing a special episode talking about the book Christie by Catherine Marshall. If you haven't read it yet, no worries. We're going to give you a full summary and then hopefully share some thoughts that will inspire you to read it for yourself because it truly is a gem of a book. I've been wanting to do this episode for a long time now, maybe even since the genesis of this podcast. Um, it's funny because I grew up looking at Christy on my mom's bookshelf, but it never appealed to me. I'm not sure if it was a picture of this pioneer woman looking off into the distance. that was like, that's not me, but I'm pretty sure I never read it. And I'm an avid reader. So it wasn't until my forties that I opened this book for the first time. And it's because it was a requirement for a course that I was taking. And let me tell you, since then I've read it three times. That's how much I love this book. Um, okay, joining me for our conversation is Shelly Spots from our podcast team. She's hosted a number of our episodes and is also a professor of creative writing at BYU. So I'm excited to hear her insights. Welcome, Shelly. Hello. I am um, just the opposite of you. I read this for the first time, and I'm in my 40s. I read this for the first time in my teens, early teens. I was a precocious reader, and I picked it up really early. And so I have that that memory and that reference of reading it when I was really young. And then I've read it a couple of times as an adult when when I've thought, I, I remember there being just some beautiful language in that book and I've gone back to it. And it has meant a completely different thing to me every time I've picked it up and read it. So I'm excited to talk about it today. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the language. She does write beautifully. Yeah. Also joining us today is Monica Anderson. Monica also took the same course and read Christy with me. And I know she's got some great things to share as well. Welcome, Monica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So I read this after I'd already been introduced to Big Ocean and that reading this through, I could not help but notice how many of our big ocean tenants or the philosophy of big ocean speaks through this story. And so that's the main reason I wanted to have this conversation. Recently, I started making a list of all of the examples of our tenants, and there were multiple examples on each one of them. So it's going to be hard for us to shorten this conversation in the time that we have available. But I'm really excited for the things we've chosen to discuss. We're going to start with a summary. Shelly, would you tell us a little bit about the story for those who are not familiar with it? Yeah, so this um, book was written by Catherine Marshall, and um, it's historical fiction in that it's grounded in historical events and and sort of a historical time period. Um, it follows the fictional character of Christy, who um, decides to go and serve as a teacher in the Appalachian Mountains in a tiny fictional town named Cutter Gap, Tennessee. Now, it was based partially, as most, I think, good fiction is, on reality in that uh, Catherine Marshall's mother did something similar in in going into the mountainous areas and and to serve among some of the some of the poorer areas as a teacher. Um, and she had those experiences to draw from and to talk to her daughter about. And that really sparked the author's imagination. And she went, you know, what would happen to this young and sheltered girl who's coming from a well-to-do background, who's coming from a position of privilege and a position of plenty and going into these, these mountain communities where she assumes that she has everything to give and that the the poor students that she's teaching are the ones that just have to receive. And she finds so much more waiting for her there. So that's and and you know, it's got it's got some romantic elements going on where she she uh, meets a handsome minister and also a doctor and and has some interactions with them. And when I when I was young, I think it was the romance. I think it was the romance for me that I was right. like, this is this is intriguing me. I want to read this romantic book, but as as an older person, the romance sort of is like a very side side plot. Yeah, so it's basically the the story of her getting to know these people. Yeah, 
And I love how she goes in with the intent. I'm going to help them. And ultimately yeah. it's them helping her become. Yes. Her. Yes. Yeah. And it's one of the, it's one of the reasons I love this book because I think it's a really good look and a really honest look at what, what richness and abundance people have within themselves and within their communities that people from the outside maybe don't recognize because it doesn't look like the richness and abundance that they have in their lives. And so because it's different and because it's dissimilar, they assume that somehow these people are lacking and, and that's not always the case and it's not always true. Right. Yeah. I think it's important that in the story, it even tells how like for Alice, when she goes in, like she has to kind of meet them on the same ground to get their respect, to figure out how to meet one of their needs instead of just, you know, if we were just to go in ourselves and be like, oh, this is the need that you have. And I'm going to fill that for you. Right. She got to know them and be part of them and realize, okay, here's how I can meet this need that you have. Yeah. And it's always so much more. It's always more effective that way. Okay. So we, the first thing I wanted to really get into was the concept of an internal compass. You know, we talk about um, one of our tenets is that we choose to speak with integrity and follow our internal compass. So let's, let's see, where does that play out in this story? I really think this story is rooted in that idea. Um, she, she gets the idea to go and serve as a teacher from listening at a meeting and tells her parents she's going to leave and go, go live in these communities. Her parents do not want her to go. Mm-hmm. And, but she feels like that is the right decision for her. And I don't know that, you know, were this a real character? I don't know that at that point they, they would know why that is the decision that they needed to make, but, but she felt strongly that she needed to make this decision and, and she followed it despite the objections of the people around her. And I feel like a lot of times that is where we come, come to things with our own choices and our own life's journeys is is our journey is not always going to look like everyone else's. And it's so easy to listen to the outside voices who tell you, you have to look more like this person, or you, or you have to make choices more like this person, or you need to follow the path that so many others have followed. And yet we are the ones who know what the path for ourselves should look like. And so we've got to learn to trust that. Yeah. I love how it expounds a little bit more on what that thought is for her when she follows that internal compass, when it says, you know, right, well, they're, they're doing the closing hymn and she's not even able to finish singing it. Yeah. And that she has this feeling of like excitement that comes over her. Yeah. Like, so I love, I love that it kind of tells you a little bit of the feelings you might have with that internal compass. And that once she decides to go with it, she never wavers in that decision. Yeah. And I think I, I love you know, some of that, how it says she that. has, she has difficult times where she's like, really, was this, was this the reason I felt like I needed to, to go and to leave everything I knew, but I don't think she ever doubts the decision she made. Right. No, no. She questions it though. You're right. Like times where she's like, I left home for this. I decided to come here. Why? I think yeah. we have those same questions about our own lives right? Where, where we make a decision and in the thick of things, um, sometimes that decision doesn't look exactly like we expected it to. Mm-hmm. And so it's really easy to say, is this, is this why, is this why I felt so strongly that I needed to do this? Um, and, and if we give it some time, some, we find out frequently why, mm-hmm. why we felt we needed to make that decision. Yeah. There's a quote from the book, Miss Alice is asking, why are you here? And her response, I'm here because something on the inside of me seemed to point an imperious finger in your direction and command go. Yeah. And she followed it and she was rewarded immensely. It was hard and Mm -hmm. she had a lot of challenges, but ultimately she develops into such a stronger person herself. And I really see this book as kind of a a journey that she goes on to, to connect with her inner compass and connect with God this is a journey of her connecting with her inner compass. Right. Are some things that she does that don't work out right that, you know, maybe she was a little too headstrong. Right. And, you know, one example that stands up to me is 
when she goes out and petitions for help and she writes all these letters and she gets all of these donations coming in and Miss Alice is disappointed. You know, wait a minute, you didn't even ask if this is what the right approach would be. And, you know, and then put a lot of stress on David having to bring everything in and, and taking time away from his ministry. I remember being surprised when I read that because I was right along with her in that moment thinking, wow, that was so intelligent to come up with this idea and to do this. How great. And I was like reading that going, wait, Alice doesn't think this is good. Like, I remember reading that thinking, what? Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes um, it's important to look at the people around you and to, to listen we want to be led by our own internal compass, but then to say, hey, you've had this experience before, or or you've been working in these areas, or or you've been interacting with these people, or tell me what it's been like for you. And right, and to listen with empathy. I, I talk to my students a lot in my writing classes about how to connect with with a reader, with an audience, with with someone that you're trying to make a really authentic connection with. And one of the most important things you can do is recognize your own lived experience and go, okay, this is where I'm coming from. This is the background I'm coming from. And then also recognize that the people you're speaking to have a completely different lived experience. And so you might not interpret the world in the same ways. And you might not see the same actions from the same point of view or from the same impulses, right? So what she's seen as generosity those people see as pity or as, you know, as, as these things that are, see, that are judging them as not good enough. And so it's so important to understand those connections because then you can trust your own actions, but also do it in a way that is going to connect you more honestly with other people in a way that helps and lifts both of you as you, as you connect to other people. Absolutely. In chapter six, there's a quote that I loved and it says, cause I think, think one of the problems is that we do doubt ourselves right we have those impulses and and sometimes we act and sometimes we act rashly and then sometimes we don't act because we think that whatever impulse we're having is is uh silly or misguided or isn't going to help and i do love when when miss alice says to her what goes on at a deep level inside you christy is not silly whatever else it may be and you know, it might be uneducated or it might be misguided, but it's not silly and it's not something to be mocked or made fun of, but it is, but they are things that we can learn. So yeah. something else that stands out to me, well, maybe even going on another level of connecting with other people. I think it's important to have our heart and mind connected. Yes. If, if our mind is speaking to our heart, heart speaking to the mind, we're going to be a lot more clear in that direction that our internal yeah. compass is taking us. Yeah. And, and I'm, that's another thing that I, that I like to tell my students is make sure that as you make your decisions, like take, take the time to make sure you are knowledgeable, but then also take the time to make sure you care. Because if, if you can involve those two things, you know, we don't want to act out of the caring without educating ourselves about what's going to be honestly helpful. We also don't want to act just on the knowledge we have without developing some sort of empathy or some sort of connection or some sort of caring for the people that we are acting with or around or for or in conjunction with, because then we're just acting for ourselves. Another place that I saw this, so her development of her internal compass, I'm thinking of that time when she saw Mountie. Mountie's a girl who doesn't speak very well. She's assumed to be very dumb and can't read. And Christy starts seeing her a little bit differently. And she says, I think she says a prayer and she asks what she can do, or she's trying to connect with, with something to help this girl. And an impression comes to her and she follows it. And there's this really cool inter interaction with Mountie. And it ultimately leads her to being able to help Mountie develop and, and learn how to read at the end of that school year. I think she was the best reader in her age group. And um, oh, yeah, so I she love that. made that clear connection and it obviously paid off. Yeah. It's wonderful to read that. Yeah. yeah. And that was something that she seemed to do. She would ask questions and then she'd get ideas or impressions that would come to her as she was. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that we can figure out 
the problems that we're confronting or the paths we want to take without asking the questions first, right? We, we have to come to a place where we're actually going, okay, what is it today that I want to seek guidance for, you know, through my own internal compass, through the high, higher power I believe in, and ask yourself the questions about what is important about it, what direction are we hoping it heads, and, and start to like seek because, and, and this is one thing, um, I teach a couple different classes. I, I teach just freshman writing, which is great, um, but I teach creative writing. And there is this misperception among students who want to write, who want to be writers, that they will be struck with the lightning of inspiration, <laughs> that they will be going about their everyday lives and the great muse will speak to them and hand them brilliant ideas to write. Why right? not? I want that I know, too. Right? That's how I want it to happen, but it doesn't. And and one of the exercises we go through is to ask yourself questions. Mm. You know, just spend five minutes and go play the game of what if or yes and. What if this were to happen? What if this were to happen? And then the yes and game. Well, yes, that happened. And what happens next? Or yes, I did this. And what am I going to do next? And when you start to ask yourself questions, your brain starts to provide some possibilities. And, and really, when we come down to it, what, what writers call inspiration or the muse is our own internal compass. And yes. we have to prime the pump. We have to say, okay, this is the thing I'm thinking about. This is the thing I'm concerned about. Let me ask the questions so that I can get some answers. Yeah, it starts guiding you, doesn't it? You kind yes. of start, when you start, the more questions you ask, the more you'll start going with what you feel, yeah. the thought that's coming into your mind. Yeah. Kate, so one of my favorite examples of this is when she goes to Miss Allison, she's asking for help, trying to understand what was the phrase that she says to her? Well, well, she she doesn't know what she believes. And yeah. so she's asking Miss mm-hmm. Alice for help. And Miss mm-hmm. Alice writes a scripture down and tells her to go read it. And she reads the scripture. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And as she's reading this, she's like, okay, then what's the next step? If, if I, I have to do something to be able to know if it's true or not. Right. And then her thought lands on Opal. And she's like, Opal, that's one of the the women in this community. And she doesn't know why, but she's like, I've got to get to her right now. And she gets there. And Opal's response was, how did you know I needed you? Mm. And it was so beautiful. She's like, wait, I I didn't know Opal, but God knew that you needed Mm -hmm. me. And he sent me to you. And at that moment, I think Christy finally realized there's a connection here. And I, I can do something. I don't know. That was so beautiful. And then it was it beautiful. Did... That distinction was great though, too. Like yeah. I didn't know, like she yes. owns up to it. I didn't know, but God knew. Yeah. And then what it did for Opal and that Opal becomes one of my heroes in this story because of how she then acts on mm-hmm. her internal compass and goes and talks to bird's eye. One of the more hardened characters in the story, who's, who has no problem killing somebody because of a feud and right. she's able to change him and change the trajectory of their community because yeah. of her ability to tap into something. Well, she they've been talking, her and Christy, back and forth. And I love it because there is this actual quote where it says, I, that's it, Miss Christy. You said that God talked to you with an idea that wouldn't go by. Well, now here's my idea that I'm to mosey out to the yard there and keep it thinking and seeing bird's eye like he was whilst he was doctoring that baby fawn. And I love that because she is tapping into her inner compass there. And she's like, "You, God talked to you. God's talking to me. I need yeah. to do this. Yeah, well, and that the solution that she came up with was not necessarily this radical solution, but it was mm-hmm. that she was going to see the best in this person. Right. And, and that is so simple and yet so powerful. And Christy says something similar about her students, where she says, as I came to know the children and to think of them as persons rather than names in my grade book, I forgot my reactions and I began to love them. Mm-hmm. I suppose the principle was that the higher affection will always expel the lower 
whenever we let the higher affections give sway, yeah. right? We just, we have to allow love to guide our reactions to people. And then we don't see them as problems and we don't see them as projects and we don't see them as obstacles to be overcome, but we see them as, as very human. Mm-hmm. You might just be heading into our next point that we want to talk about. <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> yeah. Like that. We like that. Yeah. I think that there's a great example of that when, you know, she's complaining about the smells and I related to that. Yeah. Like if it would be <laughs> the hardest part of going into a community where they don't take regular baths, you know, they yeah. and so she comes up with all these little solutions. She's going to rub perfume under her nose and she's going to carry a satchel. She's going to do all these little things and she's going to teach um, hygiene lessons. But what it ultimately came down to is when she started to love those children Mm -hmm. the smells didn't bother her anymore yeah I have read enough pioneer stories and stories of you know early peoples coming from from Europe and England into into America and I thought I've often thought I bet it was very smelly I bet it was right (laughs) I bet it was a very smelly time period (laughs) so but yeah if you love the person those things become less. Yeah. The person shines through and that becomes all that matters. There's a moment that I really liked just talking about God since we, since we talked about that. Well, first of all, I was thinking when you, when you said, you know, that she, she had Opal pop into her head and she went right to her because this is something I've always thought and and I've put it in more secular terms for my students as far as like inspiration and writing is that you don't want to ask the question unless you're ready to get the answer, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So what I love about that section is that she didn't, she didn't wait. She just went, she didn't know why she just went to do the, to, to do the thing that she felt impressed to do. And, and frequently we won't know the answer right away. But don't ask for the answers to those questions unless you're ready and willing to to write them down, to follow the impressions that you're given, to act on them. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I have found is that the less you act on those things, the more you ignore the impressions you're getting, yeah. the fewer impressions you're given. Yeah, no, it's true. So the opposite also, the opposite problematically is also true. The more you listen, the more you get. And so it can almost, Mm -hmm. it can, it can get distracting. (laughs) Wait a second. I just, I just had a thought. I need to write it down. So, but that's, hold on. This is good. I've got to get this right now. Hold that thought. (laughs) It's a wonderful kind of distraction and a wonderful kind of impression to, to serve those around you. Yeah. And and you really can't go wrong. It, it's yeah, yeah. Um, well, just talking about love. There's a part where Alice is talking to Christy, and talking about kind of seeing them through a peephole, but how over time she started to kind of see them more than just you know dirt. She says, "I'm afraid the hardness is all I've seen so far." I told her. She nodded understandingly. At first, I couldn't see anything but the dirt and the poverty either. That's what you're really referring to. But then as I rode through the mountains during my first few months here, getting acquainted with the people, flashes of something else began to come through. It was like looking through a peephole in the wall that closes on the past, catching delightful glimpses of earlier ways. Oh, I love that. I know. Isn't that, it's beautiful. And you're just like, that's her love starting to grow there for them as she's seeing those delightful moments. And they just, you know, once you open your eyes up to see it, just like how you're talking about where you start having more and more thoughts come in, those glimpses are just coming in more and more. And her love for the people is just growing. Right. And her thought process there from the beginning of where you maybe think they're dirty and poverty. Eventually you don't see that so much. You start seeing the other things that are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay, I want to talk a little bit more about this love, but there's one more thing I wanted to mention on the the inner compass, and it's just how that um, that word inner shows up so many times in this story. There's one time where Christy's watching Alice and realizes it was as if she was tapping into something 
um, almost as if she were listening for an inner signal. And there's other times where it's called an inner reality or yeah. an inner impulse. And I, I just love that repeated theme throughout the book. Right. Um, and this idea of like an inner life or an inner, an inner consciousness that, mm. that we have to tend and to listen to and, and to help to grow really. Right. They also talk about the idea of, of things being within things a lot. There was another quote and I can't remember where it was, but where she says like Christianity is not a thing like a piece of paper that you can tuck away in a desk and forget about. Uh, but it is, it's, it's the life and it's the, the things that we do and it's in every action we take. And then, and then she says, and it contains the germ of life within itself. And I really liked that, that idea of, of life being within this, this larger thing mm. that, that they're talking about. So yeah I, love that. yeah, I feel like she does that too, when she's talking about God and she's like, his ultimate in love meets his total capacity to absorb and fill all our agony there the miracle happens and the exterior situation changes. I've seen that miracle. Mm -hmm. And there's another quote that talks about the multiplying power. I think it, it continues on with that. that. Yes. Cause then, so then the next thing is looking at my puzzled expression, Miss Alice said quietly, probably I'm not making sense to you, Christy, but I'm sure you've realized that love has mending power. All of us have watched it work in small situations. Well, what I'm talking about is a vast multiplication of that power. Yeah. I love thinking about the multiplying power of love. Well, and that's going to happen when you're, you're inviting God into your life more. You're listening to your inner compass more. Your love is growing. I mean, when you've got him on your side, like. Yeah. That power. Well, and I, immense. and I just love this idea that something very simple can make a huge difference, right? Yes. There's a great book by the author is Liz Wiseman, I think, called Multipliers. And in, in this book, it talks about what makes other people better. And, and she is frequently talking about like work situations or community situations. And she talks about how there are certain people that make all of the other people around them better. Because they don't seek only to do the things that make themselves successful, but they seek things that help their communities be successful. So they look for opportunities to help this person with this idea that they're struggling with and this person with this, with this problem that they're having. And hey, I had this thought about you while I was doing this thing today. And I just thought I would let you know that I was thinking of you. And they make these connections and they reach out and they touch people in a way that they are not doing the work for those other people. They're not doing the, the thinking for those other people, but they are helping everyone around them multiply the, the power that they have within their community just by simply the ability that they have to connect to others. So when they're listening about that, it also says in here that, you're important, terribly important. Each of us is. You're unique. So is David and Miss Ida and Mr. McNeil. No one else in all the world can fill David's place or mine or yours. If you don't do the work that's been given you to do, that work may never be done. I love, yeah. I love that because I don't know it brings such like more importance of you listening to yourself because you're like, I never thought that if I didn't do what I was supposed to do that that would never get done. Right. And, or, or if you didn't um, reach out and, and make a connection with someone, maybe that connection would never be made. Maybe you are the person who was able to bridge that gap. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think, I think every person is very important in that way. Yeah. So who do you see as a multiplier? Oh, Alice. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think Alice is the biggest example of a multiplier where she, she's fairly quiet. I mean, not really. She talks a lot, but, but as far as like making waves in the community, right. 
she simply has become a part of that community and she serves that community. And yet every interaction that she has with other people seems to change them fundamentally in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I love how reflective she is. So she usually doesn't say anything until she's invited to, or until she's paused long enough to collect herself and know the best way to say it. Yeah. But then also she has this awareness that her impact can be greater by her example. So I love that she builds a cabin that's beautiful and then Mm -hmm. fills it with beautiful things. So maybe if these women come in, they can see there's a, there's a different way to live and they can add beauty to their own lives um, by watching what she does. Yes. Yeah. And that to me is a really interesting example. It's not that she is going into this community and thinking, I'm going to change them because I see something lacking or I see something wrong with the way they live. She's going into this community and saying, I can recognize the beauty in your lives and I'm going to show you the beauty that's in mine. And hopefully we can share and I can take, take from, from your influence, those things that you do that are inspirational, that are beautiful, that are, that are like so authentic and, and hopefully with your interactions with me, you can take something away from that and see that there are different ways of, you know, interacting with beauty. Yeah. So let's jump into that theme yeah. a little bit more. Let's talk about community and how we see that developed. What is the need and, and how do we benefit in a community? Yeah, I love this book for that. I think it's a great example of someone going into a community Again, like I said, when when I did the synopsis, um, thinking that they were going for the community's benefit, right? That they were going to go in and change things and then finding that that experience changed them more than anything else. And that frequently what a community needs is not someone coming in from without to change them, but help to change themselves. Like if there are needs within the community, I think frequently we see, we think we need to come in and they need outside help, right? But a lot of times communities can solve problems themselves with a little bit of cohesiveness, with a little bit of working together and with a little bit of just identifying what the problems are and, mm-hmm. and, and assessing, well, what do we have that, that we can help mm-hmm. solve those problems with? So Opal even says that when she's having that conversation with bird's eye, where I feel like if he had had a better example set for him, like she even says that he could be the change that the cove needed if he put his brains to that. Right. Because like the biggest problem in their community was not necessary lack of any resources, although, you know, they were poor, but it was this um, animosity and this feuding that was happening right and that is something that that they can change and really they are the only ones who could change it no amount of lecturing from the outside could do that yeah alice even said like that they were sensitive and putting that feeling you know combined the way they combined it wasn't in a productive way yeah yeah she says by then I was a bit wiser and had learned that there's only one way to give advice to the young, give it and then be perfectly unconcerned as to whether they take it or not. God alone is capable of managing other people, even our own children. And, and I think that I, I identified really strongly with this quote as a parent of adult children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. I'm like, um, all of my, I have four children and they are between the ages of 20 and 25. And I think we always look at people that we love and go, I would make such a better decision in this situation than you would. So let me tell you what you should do, right? When it is their decision and it is their life and and they have to, they have to live it. And so our job is to offer advice maybe or offer the spark of something, but then let them do the living of it. So, and frequently going into a community like this, that's also the attitude I think that should be taken. Yeah, for sure. Is, is, you know, you're not going in to change things, but, you know, maybe be the spark. Yeah. And 
and even going in with that mindset of how can I benefit? What do they yes. have to teach me? It's reciprocal. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite examples is the friendship that develops between Christy and Fairlight. Yeah. And I don't think Christy realized going in that she would need a friend, that she would need companionship and community herself. And Fairlight offers that to her. And, and she learns so much about seeing the beauty of the world through Fairlight's eyes. And yeah. I love this, this little community that happens between the two of them of creating delicious foods to eat from the resources around them and yes. taking from the mountain and, and almost like this, this um, mountain, you could call it a mountain economy. We talk about a maternal economy mm -hmm. in big ocean, but there's kind of this little mountain economy that the mountain's providing. And then she was benefiting from learning from Fairlight and Fairlight was benefiting from learning from her in this reciprocal right. experience. And this, this assumption that, that you're the one that has something to teach and that you don't have anything to learn, I think devalues great stores of wisdom and knowledge that, that other people have. We do have to go into situations where we're open to reciprocation. And we're open to learning just as much as we hope to be able to teach others. This reminds me of, I was, I was doing some research on like great innovation and in preparation to teach a class. And I read a story about, there's this, there was this building at MIT um, and they called it building 20. And it was, it was never supposed to be a long-term building. They, they had some needs. And so they built this building it was uh, temporary while they built other parts of campus and other parts of, of like their infrastructure. And so it was sort of thrown up and thrown together and offices were everywhere and hallways were really long and it was always too hot or too cold. So people were, you know, never in their offices. They were always, you know, in common spaces that seemed to have better environmental regulation and they they found that in this terrible building that was built so poorly, some of the greatest ideas and some of the greatest interactions and collaborations were born. Because as they wandered these really maze-like halls to find their offices, people were talking to one another. And as they were sitting in these common areas, people were having discussions and they were collaborating with people that they normally wouldn't even have a conversation with. And in the first two years that this building ha had been built, nine of the nine of the people that worked in this building, they ended up becoming Nobel Prize recipients and because they were working and collaborating and listening to people that they wouldn't normally listen to. And so I think like this idea that we are the experts in our own lives is a little bit misguided where we can look at other people and go, well, what, what do you have to offer that, that we can work together and collaborate and make something greater? Wow, so really fascinating. It was. And, and the, the research was also talking about like, like the salons of French and, and Italian, the, the Renaissance, where they made so many leaps um, forward in their in their economies and their communities because great people were just getting together and having great discussions. Mm. It's like one of the things that I regret about technology, but also one of the benefits of technology is that we so often let it divide us from the common spaces from the spaces where we would normally go and enjoy people's company and have interesting conversations and maybe come to some of these collaborations naturally. At the same time, we live in completely different areas having this podcast today and we are doing this collaboration in an online space, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it is one of those things that can divide us, but can also bring us together. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to just be creative in creating those spaces so that yes. Collaboration can continue to happen even, yeah. even more. Yeah. That's such a beautiful thought that it was almost an intentional, this building, or, you know, yeah. created a community where more things could flourish. What they found that was really interesting is it took them, I think, like 10 or 15 years to build the new building that was going to replace this one. And when they, and it had beautiful offices and it was perfectly built and everyone was now separated again, the way traditionally it would be. And their creativity dropped and they're like, oh no, what did we do? 
and they had torn down this old building and so they had to they were then trying to come up with ways to like recreate that collaborative environment that had happened almost by accident that's fascinating um I remember when I was a grad student and I was teaching as a grad student and um, all the grad students shared one large office. We called it the Carols. We each had a little desk, but we shared them. And one of the things we all looked forward to as after grad school, if we were going to continue teaching, was that as an adjunct or as a professor, we would get our own offices, right? Everyone's like, oh, my office. I'm so excited to have an office. Oh, my gosh, those Carols were the greatest thing ever. 30 grad students in one room sharing ideas on how to talk to students and how to teach students and sharing lesson plans and sharing resources and going, hey, I read this great article. It's a wonderful example of this thing if you want to use it. And a big pin board on one wall where people would just stick articles and fun, you know, funny quotes and and we were like collaborating and having these really great conversations, much like this, this idea of this building. And then we all grow up, right? <laughs> we all graduate and we get the real people jobs and we all have our own offices and we no longer have a community, right? The community now is every semester, there's three meetings, three faculty meetings, mm -hmm. instead of every day being surrounded by your peers and having to share we need community. I mean, I think yeah. that just des describes it perfectly. Well, there's something about saying that you're surrounded by it because even in the book, it talks about how they had their fine heritage and they needed to be reminded of it over and over. Yeah, we yeah. do. We need those reminders. Talks about like their source of their pride with their fine heritage. They had yeah. a solid value of inheritance and sharp minds, good brains, exceptional awareness, a spiritual quality, there was sensitivity and these things make for gigantic hunger of mind and spirit. Mm -hmm. And then their proud self-reliance and intense love of Liberty. Well, yeah. that was their iron will. Yes. Yeah. And that was just kind of like a generative thing there for them. Right. And I think we have to think back to those things. Think back to where we get the qualities that, that have made us who we are. Right. And, and be proud of those, those instances and those circumstances and those histories that have made us who we are. So for some reason, we, I think we feel it, a it's a um, benefit or a privilege to grow past some of that stuff, mm. right? I've grown up, I've grown out of that. I, I have moved on, I've advanced. Um, but like advancing communities forgets the roots that we come from. And, and just like we need our branches, we need our roots. Mm -hmm. So, so I think, it, I think we, I think we need to remember. Yeah. We need to stay connected. You yeah. almost need a small little cutter gap to go to, right. That's constantly reminding you where it all started, how it was it's, day to day. Yeah. 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 Look through that little peephole and get those <laughs> delightful glimpses. I think it's really interesting. I've lived in the same neighborhood now for 22 years. Um, and before this, my family moved around a lot when I was young. So we would, we only spent like 18 months in any one place um, before I married my husband and, and we, we moved into this house. It is so different to live someplace where people know you and have people have known you for decades and people remember that thing that happened 18 years ago or or that time your kids did that one thing and and it gives you a sense of groundedness and rootedness even though like the community's changed around us and the neighborhood's changed around us and people have moved in and moved out there still is like that sense of history and i think we can look for that in in almost everything in our own family histories in our neighborhoods in our communities in our schools and and find that that um, thing that binds us all together. Just kind of talking about how the Cove people were for their generations. Like there's this quote here with David, I've been back here in the Cove a little longer than you. One of the worst evils around here is nursing grudges, sometimes for years. Retaliating evil for evil is considered a virtue, the mark of strong character. Here with this Ozias situation, 
you've got a ready-made chance to demonstrate a better way, the strength of forgiveness. Yeah. So that's like the negative, like that's, that's the, the opposite side of like remembering where you're from, right? It's remembering where you're from and having empathy for those circumstances and those situations, not remembering where you're from and having the grudge or holding, holding the grudge against someone. Because I, I do think those are two sides of the same coin. Right. There are drawbacks as well. So we have to be careful yeah. that we're, yeah, we're, we're staying in a place of love and, and forgiveness. Right. Well, I, I think there's so much more that we could discuss about this book. So many other places we could go, but I want to end with one question. And that is just after reading Christy, how do you feel that it affected you? How did you benefit in your personal life? I, I keep going back to this uh, quote that I loved um, that says, every one of us belongs in some kind of ministry. One of the reasons why why this has struck me so so strongly is as you read the book, each one of those characters, they are ministering in some way, right? David is a minister. Miss Alice, through the things she does, Christy is trying to minister to people educationally. She's trying to change things. She's trying to make a difference. And she doesn't necessarily know, know how at first. And so this book to me is like her sort of fumbling and well-guided, well-meaning attempt to minister to, to these people, but then finding that that gave her back far more than she ever thought she was going to give to it. So um, I was thinking about that in our own lives, right? We minister to our children. We minister to our families. We minister in our, in our jobs, in our communities. Every interaction we have can be a type of ministry, you know, and, and especially this, this theme of love. We can minister with love. We can minister love. Yeah. So I loved that. What about you guys? I had this main point that stood out to me that I even wrote it down that it meant so much. And it was the one quote in there where it says true prayer then can be rooted only in the recognition of genuine need. Yeah. And I just, I really like that because there's so many times we pray for help on things and there, and lots of people I've heard it where they say, well, my prayer wasn't answered, Mm. but were you praying about a genuine need or you know, and, and it might be that that was a need they felt at the time, but maybe that that wasn't the need that needed to, to be it, met. Yeah, it could have been a need, but was it, yes. was it the genuine need that, yeah, the direction that you needed to right. go? Right, because the Lord is going to look at those things that we pray for and go, I I think I know better. <laughs> so you're going to go this way. I've looked back, you know, like when we're younger, prayers that we said, right? And you're like, yes. oh. Thank you, Lord, for not answering that. I, I'm so glad you know more than me and you didn't answer those. Yeah. And then the prayers that we do have answered, you're just like, wow, okay. I'm seeing the importance. And sometimes answered in completely unexpected ways. Mm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so there wasn't like the book for me, like I was telling Dana, it wasn't any one character that really stood out when I read this book, it was the first time I read it. I had no expectations. Like I didn't read a synopsis of the book or what it was about or anything. Like I just dove into it first time. And I kind of just felt like I took a back seat, like in a room that I yeah. was observing everything that was happening. And by the end of the book, it just changed me. Yeah. There, I, I felt like I was there looking through those people, seeing those delightful moments at times. And it just, I couldn't help but be affected by it. Yeah. And so when I finished the book, it just, I, I'm forever changed. And it is a mm-hmm. book that I love going back to and like us doing this and reading it again. This was the second time I've gone back to it and I still enjoyed it just as much. Right. And you find, I think you, it's so dense. I think you find new, new, beautiful things every time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wish we could go through the quotes. You know, there's so many mm-hmm. beautiful an- an- analogies and similes and, and, the literary beauty of this book is just yes. Yes. on level. Um, yeah. What what stood out to me? So I I want to be like Miss Alice. I love her ability to sit back and to observe and to be reflective and then have all these 
incredibly wise things to say. That's that's mm-hmm. what I want to be like. But I definitely related more with Christy, like headstrong, jump in, don't know what I'm doing and fumble my way through it. But I I realized by reading this book that my my imperfect effort is enough. Yes. That what I have to offer, it's going to be enough. And that it's better to fumble with my way through than to mm-hmm. not offer anything at all. Yeah. And well, and and we need both Christie's and Miss Alice's. Yeah. That that yeah. is, you know, we we don't want a whole world of Miss Alice. Uh, right. As lovely as she is, we need the enthusiasm of the Christie and and the just the unadulterated willingness to just act. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes we look at it and and in retrospect, it's it's easy to say, I think maybe she was a little deluded about what she was going to do there. And at the same time, just the enthusiasm mm-hmm. that she had for the work. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. Well, I want to thank you both. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And for all of our listeners out there, I hope that we've inspired you to pick this book up. You could listen to it, I'm sure, somewhere or pick it up and share with us what you think and what you learned from it. Go to your public library. I'm sure they have a copy. (laughs) Yes. And just a reminder, we are always inviting you to join our waves and become a part of big ocean and use your influence to bless those around you you have been listening to currents a podcast by big ocean women you can find us on the internet at bigoceanwomen.org, on instagram and on facebook we are each one powerful drop in a big ocean of change join us in one of our local chapters waves or Women Achieving Vast Empowerment. Our music is First Rain by Ian Post. Editing and production is by Fifth East Productions. Please join us again next week for in-depth discussion about interesting ideas and about people who are trying to make a difference in their communities.